0: Welcome to this UbuLa audio presentation of The Whispering Box Mystery by John Blaine. Volume 2. Chapter 3. The Stranger. The entire Spindrift Island family, like any well-knit unit, seemed to sense a crisis. By the time Rick arrived carrying the stiff little body of Dismal in his arms, the word had spread, and the Brants, the scientists, and the Huggins family were gathered at the big house. Rick was paper-white as he lay dismal on the kitchen table. Barbie was sobbing quietly, and Scotty was having trouble swallowing. He's not dead, Rick said shakily. His, his heart is beating. We, we listened. First thing, we listened. Mrs. Brandt, a slim motherly woman, put an arm around Rick's shoulder. What happened, son? Rick shook his head. He couldn't make words come. To think that his experiment, designed to help Dismal, had hurt the pup. He couldn't understand what had happened. Hartson Brandt pushed through the group around the table and bent over the dog. The buzz of conversation slowed and stopped. He put his hand over Dismal's heart and then stooped and put his ear on the shaggy fur. Good strong pulse. Get a flashlight, Rick. Rick ran to obey, getting the flashlight his father kept in the library. He hurried back and handed it to the scientist. Hartson Brandt flashed the light in Dismal's fixed open eyes, then shook his head. He tried to flex the pup's leg, bending it back. The leg was very stiff. Barbie's quiet sobs were the only sound in the room. Hartson Brandt straightened up and rubbed his chin thoughtfully. He's alive, all right, but something has paralyzed him. Every muscle in his body has stiffened. Mrs. Brandt asked anxiously. Is he in pain, Hartson? No, I'm sure he isn't. Julius, what do you think? The little scientist frowned. It's almost like a cataleptic trance, isn't it? Rick, suppose you tell us exactly what happened? Rick swallowed hard. He felt awful, but he knew he had to remember everything so that perhaps the scientist could help Dismal. It it was the air pistol, he began unsteadily. All eyes on the room were on him. He felt as though they were accusing him, because the pup was a favorite of everyone. I wanted to make an ultrasonic whistle out of it, to call Dismal. Professor Weiss helped me. He plugged the muzzle, then bored a tiny hole in it. I went down to the field, and Diz, well, he was trying to catch the woodchuck. He wished they wouldn't look at him like that. Anyway, we walked about fifty feet away from him and I pointed the pistol over his head and pulled the trigger and... Dismal sneezed. With a yell, Rick jumped to the table. Dismal, a little unsteadily, was getting to his feet. He shook himself as though he had just come out of the water and then sneezed again. A loud, resounding sneeze. Rick reached out and patted him. The pup promptly rolled over to play dead but hadn't realized he was on a table. Rick caught him as he was clawing at the smooth top, trying to keep from slipping to the floor. Nothing wrong with him, Scotty said with evident relief. Hartz watched the pup as Rick set him on his feet. The scientist was obviously puzzled. Very strange. Barbie glared at Rick and then hurried to where Diswell's food was kept. In a moment, the shaggy pup was eating as though nothing had happened. The Spindrift group watched him, the scientist conversing in low tones. Rick caught fragments of what they were saying. Deuced paralysis, auditory impact, approximate vibration, temporary catalepsis, ultrasonic. Dismal finished wolfing his food and took a few laps of water. Then he hurried out the kitchen door. In a moment, they saw him trotting down the path that led to the farm. He's gone back to get that woodchuck, Scotty said with wonderment. What happened to him, anyway? "'That is what we're going to determine. "'Rick, where is this pistol?' "'For a moment Rick couldn't remember. "'I i must have dropped it at the garden,' he said. "'He would never forget that awful moment "'when Diz had dropped as though a real bullet "'had been fired from the pistol. "'He never wanted to see that thing again. "'Will you get that for us, son?' "'I'll go,' Scotty offered. "'Rick nodded his thanks.' It would take him a little while to recover from the shock of what had happened golly if he had really hurt dismal the pup was an important member of the family let's go into the library arts brandt said he motioned to rick weiss zircon and gordon and then led the way the library a huge room that served Harts and brandt as an office was filled with books written in several languages most of them on scientific subjects On one wall were framed degrees and certificates stating that William Hartson Brandt was an engineer, a doctor of science and physics, a member of numerous scientific societies, and a fellow of the American Institute of Atomic Scientists. In the center of the room was a massive oak desk surrounded by chairs, most of which were comfortable and upholstered in leather. The group sat down and Hartson Brandt said, All right, Rick, let's have the story from the very beginning. Don't leave out any details. Rick didn't. Now that his fright was over, he was as anxious as anything to find out what happened. He described the day's events from the moment Barbie brought up the subject until they had seen Dismal with their own eyes, stiff and unresponding on the kitchen table. When he had finished, he watched his father's face anxiously. Hartson Brandt looked at Gordon, and his eyes lifted an unspoken question. Gordon nodded. Could very well be, Hartson. Julius Weiss spoke up. At least it's worth an intensive investigation. Yeah, Zircon boomed. Do you all realize that would explain why the clerk's hearing aid exploded? Rick stared. They were just talking gibberish. They weren't talking about Dismal at all. Scotty, air pistol in his hand, knocked at the door. Come in, Hartson Brandt said. He took the pistol from Scotty and then smiled at Rick. That's all, son. Why don't you and Scotty go keep an eye on Dismal? At any other time, Rick might have asked questions, but now he permitted himself to be ushered into the hall without the slightest protest. He was too confused by all that had happened by the accident to Dismal, by the strange conversation he had just heard, by being barred from the lab. What's going on? Scotty asked. I don't know. Honest. I don't have the glimmer of an idea. Is Dismal okay? Scotty grinned. By the time I got down there, he was on his stomach, trying to sneak up on that woodchuck again. He's just fine, Rick. Don't worry about him anymore. That's easy to say, Rick shuddered. For a while, I thought I had... Skip it, Scotty said abruptly. I thought so too. Come on. Let's go down and keep an eye on him. That was an excuse. "'Rick said. Dad just wanted to get us out of that library. "'I'd rather go get a glass of milk. "'My throat feels like the tail end of a sandstorm.' "'In the kitchen they found Mrs. Brant "'just pouring three tall, cold glasses of milk "'while Barbie was putting fresh donuts on a plate. "'I thought you might be thirsty,' Mrs. Brant said as the boys entered. "'Scotty grinned as Rick gave his mother a hug. "'Talk about a woman's intuition.' The Brant kitchen is full of it. Barbie handed Rick the donut platter. I've decided, she said firmly, from now on I'm going to get dismal myself when it's time for him to eat. You and us, Scotty said past a mouthful. If the boy genius here tries any more tricks like that, I'll bean him personally. You and how many other Marines, Rick demanded. Talk to me like that and I won't invent any more armchairs for you to sleep in. Armchair, cement floor, all the same to me, Scotty said airily. I'm the rugged type. I can sleep anywhere. Rick finished his glass of milk and then walked out to the big porch that faced the sea. The excitement had made him restless. He wondered again what the scientists were discussing. What was so secret that even he and Scotty couldn't be let in on it? But most of all, he wondered what had happened to Dismal. Scotty came out to the porch and gauged his mood accurately. No use in hanging around and making bum guesses about what's going on. Let's say we take a ride. Boat or plane? Plane? I need a little flying time. I'm getting rusty. Scotty had got his flying license a short while before, and like Rick, had fallen in love with flying. Okay, Rick agreed. We could take a swig over Whiteside and see what the town looks like. Do you realize you haven't been off the island more than a half dozen times since we got back from Quangara? After that particular island, Scotty said fervently, "I don't care if we ever leave Spindrift again." He led the way from the porch to where the cub waited on the grassy landing strip. Incidentally, I wonder how Chada is making out. Chada, the little Hindu boy who had been their companion on the trip to Tibet, and later to the island of Quangara. Had remained in Hawaii at the imitation of Doctor Warren, of the Pacific Ethnographic Institute. They corresponded, but irregularly, after the fashion of boys their age. Besides, Chada was very busy studying. He had a positive passion for learning, probably because his schooling in India had been so haphazard. His only textbook, until his former adoption by the Brant, had been an ancient copy of the World Almanac. He'll do all right wherever he is, Rick said. His last letter said he had made a lot of friends, but he missed us. He motioned to the plane. Get in. I'll crank the prop for you. As Scotty climbed into the little yellow cub, Rick untied the ropes that protected it against sudden winds, then pulled the prop through it to prime it. Switch on, Scotty called. Rick snapped the prop down and the engine caught at once. He went around and climbed into the passenger seat and fastened his belt as Scotty warmed the engine. All set? In a time. Scotty pushed the throttle forward and the plane moved into takeoff position. Then, with a the final quick testing of the controls, Scotty took off. Rick looked down as Spindrift fell away under them. As Scotty banked and headed toward the New Jersey coast, he could see the island in its entirety. It was shaped, as Scotty sometimes said, like a T-bone steak without the bone. At the back side of the island were tidal flats connecting it to the mainland. The flats were underwater when the tide was in, so the communication with the mainland had to be by boat or Rick's Cub. Let's take a look at Whiteside, he suggested. Just fly over so we can see what's up there. Scotty obligingly turned toward the town, a small community where the brands did most of their shopping. In a few moments, Rick saw the outline of the airport, a single strip with a small hangar run by his friend Gus, who made a living doing repairs and teaching flying to the members of the Whiteside High School's Flying Club. On the edge of Whiteside was the boat dock where the Spindrift Island boats tied up. Rick looked down at it idly and then did a double take. Hey, he exclaimed, let's go down and take a look at that. Scotty had been gazing off toward the New Jersey flatlands. At what? The dock. I think that cabin cruiser is there. Scotty flipped the plane on its side and banked around. By golly, you're right. He straightened out and let the plane slip down, losing altitude rapidly. It is, Rick said. Do you suppose it stays there all the time? I doubt it, Scotty remarked. Must be the business at the island that keeps it around. Sure it's the same one? I'm sure, Rick nodded. Look, it's just getting underway, too. Shall we follow it? Okay. You don't think it's going to Spindrift, do you? It was there earlier. They wouldn't be going back so soon. Let's keep their trail and see where they go. Scotty kept the cub in a lazy circle as the white cabin cruiser left the dock and started south along the coast. Rick watched it, wondering. There wasn't anything to the south until Spindrift, but maybe they were going right on by heading for a point on the coast farther down. He began to feel guilty about trailing the boat when his father obviously wanted him to know nothing about it. He was even on the point of calling the whole thing off when he realized that the boat was on a course that could only take it to Spindrift. If it had been continuing on past the island, the course would have lain more to see. No luck. It's heading for home. Well, what now? Scotty asked. Rick shrugged. Got any ideas? Yeah, Scotty said brightly. Let's put a microphone in the library. Looks like that's the only way we're going to find out anything. He put the plane into a shallow dive, pointing toward the back of the island. Rick sat still and said nothing as the sea came up. About 30 feet over the water, Scotty leveled out, holding the plane on a course that would take them behind the farmhouse. Watch for Dismal, he said. Rick dropped the side window so he could lean out a little as the edge of the island loomed in front of them. Scotty climbed a few feet, just enough to clear the trees, then flashed over the garden. Rick got a glimpse of the pup, a dark blot of fur against the green grass. He couldn't see the woodchuck, but it was a relief to know that Diz was well enough to stay on the job. Then the garden was passed, and they were over the fields. He looked out to the east toward Pirate's Field, the clearing on the south side of the island. The moon rocket launcher had been there once, but now it was gone dismantled and turned over to the army for further rocket experiments at White Sands Proving Ground. Only a patch of barren soil, fused sand from the terrible heat of the launching, remained to show where the first rocket to the moon had rested. Scotty flew south along the coast for a short distance and then turned back to Spindrift. Rick smiled to himself. Scotty, in spite of his more casual attitude toward the mysterious visitors to the island, was burning with curiosity. He wanted to be around just in case any information turned up. Approaching the landing strip from the south, Scotty let down gradually, then cut the throttle just before they reached the lab. The plane settled into a glide, dropping down over the radar antenna on the lab roof and rolled to a smooth landing on the strip. The strange cruiser was already tied up to the pier. Rick looked at it thoughtfully before they went into the house through the kitchen. The boat's captain, if he could be called such, was leaning against the cabin, patiently waiting. The men must be inside with Hartson Brandt. Rick's mother greeted them. Where have you been? Dad wants to see you in the library. Rick and Scotty stared at each other for a moment. Then Rick dashed for the library and knocked on the door. Come in, Hartson Brandt called. Rick opened the door and went in. His father was seated at the desk. The room's only other occupant was the younger of the two strangers. He had the air pistol, and he was idly rubbing the barrel while he looked at Rick. The boy returned the glance with interest. The stranger was young, not more than twenty-five, and there was a look of hardness about him, like that of a trained athlete. His hair was brown, but of a shade lighter than Rick's. His blue eyes had a penetrating quality that Rick found uncomfortable. He felt as though in the moment it took him to walk to the desk, the stranger had analyzed his opinions, his likes and dislikes, and his most secret thoughts. He wouldn't have been at all surprised to have the man say casually, You were the one who wired Barbie's chair so that every time she's tried to sit down, a siren would go off. Sit down, Rick, Hartson Brandt said. He obeyed eagerly, and his pulse speeded up. Could it be? Could the moment have finally come when he would actually learn something of the Spindrift Island mystery? Chapter 4 Report and Ask No Questions. The stranger held up the pistol. This thing was your idea? Yes, sir. Your father tells me you're a handy man in a laboratory. Rick didn't know what to say to that. He looked at his father, and the scientist smiled and nodded. Can you keep your mouth shut? The stranger demanded. Rick stiffened. I always have, sir. Good. Now tell me all you know about Scotty. The interview was not going at all as he had expected. Instead of getting information, he was giving it. What do you want to know about him? Everything. The way you met him, where he came from, why he's living with you when he isn't a member of the family. He is a member of the family, Rick said. Anyway, we think of him as one. "'Start at the beginning,' Hartson Brand said. "'Yes, sir. "'It was during the moon rocket experiment. "'I got caught by the gang that was trying to wreck our rocket, "'and they were just about to beat me up when Scotty sailed in. "'He was in uniform then. "'He was a sergeant in the Marines. "'After he rescued me, I brought him home, "'and Dad hired him as a guard to keep people away from the rocket launcher.' "'Did you examine his papers?' the stranger asked. Yes, sir. He had an honorable discharge that said he had served at Tarawa, Saipan, and Okinawa. He told us he had talked a recruiting sergeant into enlisting him, even if he was underage. He's only a year older than I am. Anyway, he served as a guard for a while, and he went with us to Tibet. But by that time, he wasn't just a guard anymore. He was just, well, sort of one of the family. I mean, he's like a brother to Barbie and me, and Dad and Mom treat him just the way they do us. "'Does he know anything about lab work?' The question was addressed to Hartson Brandt. "'Yes. Since we took him into the family, he has become an unofficial lab assistant, just as Rick is. He's very handy with tools, especially machine tools. We pay both of them a salary for helping us around the lab, and they earn it.' "'You wouldn't question his loyalty?' "'We've trusted him with our lives,' Hartson Brandt said simply. "'We wouldn't hesitate to do it again.' Rick could not see where this conversation was going, but he didn't dare ask any questions. His father and the stranger would come to the point in due time. He sat quietly and waited. Presently, the stranger laid the air pistol on the desk. "'You're so curious you're ready to pop like a balloon, ain't you?' he said, and grinned suddenly. It was a warm, friendly grin, and Rick couldn't help returning it. "'I wish I could answer all your questions,' he said. But that's not possible. In the interest of security, I had to ask your father not to tell you anything, or even to explain why he couldn't tell you what was going on. For the same reason, I asked him to restrict the laboratory to only the scientists who were actually at work on this particular project. Rick stopped grinning. So he wasn't actually to learn anything after all. Hartson Brandt laughed. Don't look so unhappy, Rick. You look as though the world was coming to an end. As it happens, the air pistol you developed, and its effect on Dismal, interested Mr. Ames enough so that he has asked me to lend you to him. Lend me? And Scotty too? Rick looked at the stranger anxiously. What for? The first thing you must learn is not to ask questions, the stranger said. Incidentally, my name is Steve Ames. If you just call me Steve, it'll make things a little more informal. Are you and Scotty willing to take a trip? Rick jumped out of his chair. Are we? Where to? Steve chuckled. Remember what I said about not asking questions, kid? I'll supply all the answers you'll need. Your father is lending us Zircon and Weiss, too. You and Scotty will act as their assistants. Now, listen. At no time must you tell anyone what you're doing or give them the slightest hint of what is going on. And that means absolutely no one. Not even that pup that got you into all this. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. Crick was listening attentively now. By helping Weiss and Zircon, you will be serving the government in a very important project. If you talk, it'll be comparable to treason. That's how serious this thing is, kid. Now you and Scotty are to go to Washington as soon as possible. I don't care how you get there. You can fly your plane, take a train, drive. It's up to you. But I want you there on Friday. This is Tuesday, so you have two full days. Can you do that? You bet we can. Steve Ames smiled. An eager beaver, I see. Well, don't be too eager. At no time will you try to do more than you are specifically ordered to do. Do you understand that? Got it, Rick said happily. Okay. When you get to Washington, go to the Elliston Hotel. Take a double room. Then just wait there until such time as you get further instructions. Elliston, Rick repeated. I won't forget. But how about Weiss and Zircon? Will they be there too? Steve sighed deeply. Okay, okay, I take it back, Rick said quickly. I I didn't ask anything. Steve laughed and then rose and held out his hand. Okay, Rick, you'll see me again before long. He turned to Harts and grant. I must be getting back. It's lucky your phone call caught me. I was on my way out the hotel door when the bellhop shouted. He shook hands with the scientist. I won't be seeing you again until after we've made sure we're on the right track. Meanwhile, you and Gordon can keep working on that other angle. Good luck, Arts and Brant said. You can be sure we're doing our best. He and Rick escorted Steve to the door and out out onto the porch. Scotty, curiosity written in every line of his face, looked up at them from where he had been sitting. This is Scotty, Rick said. Scotty got up to his feet so fast that the chair almost fell over. My name is Steve Ames, the stranger said, shaking hands. Rick will tell you what's happening. His eyes twinkled. As much as he knows. The two boys fell into step as Harts and Brant walked with Steve to the pier. He got aboard and Rick cast off the lines for them. The cruiser backed out of the cove and then swung in the direction of Whiteside. Steve Ames waved and then went into the cabin. Scotty grabbed Rick's arm. Come on, give. What's up? I don't know anything, Rick told him. Except you and I are going to Washington on a special job as assistants to Weiss and Zircon. Washington? Scotty let out a whoop. District of Columbia or the state of Washington? Golly, I forgot to ask, Rick exclaimed. Washington, D.C., Carson Brandt supplied smiling. You're to report there and you're to ask no questions.